our lessons from Thessalonians and Matthew, they talk a lot about, you know, intimate relationships with others. And what I realized is that a lot of you might be in the same situation that I'm in of, of being single. And, and being single, I know that it's important to help you all and set a good example and teach you the lessons that I've learned. So I'd like to uh, teach you some of the lessons that I've learned as far as, uh, you know, uh, uh, what it is to live out this season where around November through March, uh, people like to, you know, try to pursue a relationship during the cold months. They call it cuffing season because they're looking for a relationship. So uh, I'd like to, uh, you know, teach you all, as you can see, uh, what a great, uh, you know, uh, uh, person in uh, dating and relationships that I am. I mean, this stud right up here, you can tell how awesome I am. So I'm going to teach you eight opening lines for how to start up a conversation with somebody that you're interested in. So uh, allow me to help you out, okay? Uh, first one, we may not be socks, but I know we'd make a great pair. I know, they're all just that good. Let's commit the perfect crime together. I'll steal your heart and you steal mine. Aww. Yeah, I know, right? Like on a Valentine. Uh, how did the telephone propose to his girlfriend? He gave her a ring. Uh, I know, I know. Have you been to the doctor lately because you're missing out on some vitamin me? Ah. Uh, uh, and, and, you know, um, did you hear about the notebook that married a pencil? She found Mr. Wright. Found Mr. Wright. Yes, you're welcome. I was told not to date a tennis player because love means nothing to them. Oh, I know, I know. Are you a bank loan? Because you have my interests. And I think I saved the best for last, y'all. Are you Australian? Because you meet all of my qualifications. I, I know, I know. Uh, yeah, you're, you're welcome up there. I know that y'all need all the you know, dating help that you can get. And for those of you online, you're welcome. I'm happy to help. So now that I have given you my wisdom, um, what I also note about this is that oftentimes while we might understand that uh, there are certain things that we do in starting relationships and maintaining them, not every place in history has had the same type of expectations or understanding about relationships. And that's what we end up seeing with uh, Paul speaking to the people in Thessalonica. See, in some of our other letters from Paul, what we see is that he'll oftentimes be speaking to uh, Jewish Christians. And the thing is, is that they would oftentimes come from a certain cultural background, a certain religious understanding. But in speaking with those who are from a Greek background, many of them have a very different perspective on life and God and relationships and everything else. So in a lot of ways, Paul has to sort of rewrite their understanding of what it is to be around people of the opposite gender or even the same gender. With that is what we see in here, Thessalonica is a Greek, it was a Greek port city. But being a part of the Roman Empire, not only did they have Greek culture, but they also had Roman social norms that they had to deal with. And the thing is, is that while 
we might have this understanding that we are, you know, post-Elizabethan era and different ideas of what is or is not acceptable in relationships. Back then, even Roman officials might oftentimes have families with three different women and all three might be completely acceptable. Or oftentimes there might be an understanding of continuing to pursue a relationship as soon as possible, but even ideas of what it was to have the physical relationship with someone else might be in many ways more expected, but also even their idea of what they thought worship was, because many of their temples might have uh, priestesses or priests, depending on how it was set up, where physical relations with someone was actually seen as a part of a worship form, or even just the idea of whatever you do with your body, it can be whatever you want it to be. Sometimes sounds familiar with our context today as well. This idea of what we do with the life that God has given us, we oftentimes can take it for granted. Now, last week I believe it was, we talked about how oftentimes... In the past, some Christian groups, some Christian circles would take the idea of physical intimacy and try to be so, in a sense, afraid of it that even things like, are you even allowed to kiss a person before you get married, might even come up. But then at the same time, is that it almost became that if a person crossed a certain line, then it's almost like, well, I have crossed this line in a relationship, so now there's nothing else. Well, I've, I've already broken something in my mind, so therefore now there is no more hope for me or this relationship, and I can do whatever it is that I think I feel like doing. That idea becomes difficult, not just for the people back then, but also in our context today. Because we are constantly pushed in what we expect relationships to be. We see it in movies and on billboards and we see it in advertisements. So much of the idea that even just our very bodies themselves are treated like commodities, treated like something that's supposed to catch attention and something with, that we do with however we wish, especially in a world where we kind of keep God in our heads, but somehow we don't think God has anything to do with our bodies. But when Paul is speaking in this particular context about what it is to live our lives the way that God would want, he speaks very specifically to men. Now, in many ways, oftentimes what we will do as the church is think that, well, now this is just about men, and, and men are the only ones that we need to worry about or think about in this regard, and that's completely misunderstanding the context. See, Paul lived at a time where especially whenever people would be getting married at a younger age and a patriarchal society where men were seen as sort of like these decision makers. That's a cultural thing. That, while Paul may be speaking in his context, in ours, men and women both have not only a right to their body but also a responsibility with their body. Not only that we have the opportunity to use this for God's glory, but also what is it that we do with it. But even more than that is oftentimes whenever people will ask questions about it, we oftentimes jump to the Ten Commandments when 
that may not necessarily be the easiest way to explain it. Back when I was teaching um, uh, high school, there was one semester where I was going to be a volleyball, a middle school volleyball coach. That's because um, I, I know what a volleyball is, and I know that you're supposed to get it to the other side of the net, and that's about all you really need to know for middle school volleyball. Um, now, at the very last minute, the week before school started, the high school varsity volleyball coach quit and didn't want to help anybody out after that. So they said, well, out of all the faculty, you're the only one who has any volleyball experience. And I'm like, you are really scraping the bottom of the barrel here. Worst season they ever had. I swear it was like, I don't know, six victories out of 12 games. It was not pretty at all. But what was interesting is that at the school where I was teaching, we were encouraged to make sure that we were mentors to these students. And one of them said, hey, Jason, you're a pastor, right? I'm like, yeah. Well, can I ask you a question about sex? And I'm like, oh, this is interesting. Okay. Uh, I teach algebra and physics, but you know what? Okay. <laughs> what is the question? And she says, why is it that churches make such a big deal about having sex before marriage? And I'm like, who actually asks this question in today's world? Now, I could have just said, well, God told you not to do it in the Ten Commandments, so don't do it. That doesn't help young people when they are trying to understand why they even read the Bible in the first place. And so I paused and I said, well, if you're connecting with the person physically, then you're also going to create emotions and feelings that may not be there already. You may be creating a connection and a bond with them that later you'll realize wasn't real in the first place. And also more than that is that your body is a precious and beautiful thing like everybody else. So what you do with it matters. And she's just like, huh, that actually kind of makes sense. And, you know, who, who knew the Bible could actually make sense? But, you know... With that, though, is realizing that I, I don't know what happened in the rest of her life after high school, but at least for that moment, there was something about what God desires for us that connected. But I think also, I think we take that for granted, too. Is that oftentimes, even in the relationships that we have, is that it's almost this idea of, okay, it's a yes or no answer, but if I've gone past a certain point in my life, well, then what does it matter anymore? But the reality is that everything that we do is a question of whether or not we are living for God or just living for ourselves. Because that's the thing about this is that it's more than just is somebody okay with something. It's also asking questions of if we've done something are we actually reinforcing for them that they are God's child or are we reinforcing for them that they are exactly what the world has taught them? That they're only what they can give us. That they are just good for one thing. See, that's the thing that we oftentimes miss out is that our life here on this earth, it's not a YOLO. It's not a you only live once idea. It's not this idea that we have to cram as much as we can into every single moment, trying to make sure that we feel every experience and that we take everything that we can. 
because that's something that if we only had until the end of this life and there was nothing else beyond that, then that would make sense. Take what you can, forget about the rest. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about what happens afterward. You can live for the moment. But that's the difficulty is that our lives do mean more than just this one moment. Not just in regard to what we are doing now, but also in what we are showing people about who God is. You see, with that, this is one of the reasons why we end up seeing this connected in Thessalonians with the resurrection. You see, in chapter 4, it goes from speaking about the need to respect our God, respect ourselves, respect others, with the physical relationships that we have. And then says, even the dead will be rising when Christ returns. Why? You see, we've had 2,000 years to know that, well, Jesus may not necessarily come tomorrow. It might be a little bit longer. Back then, when they thought of the day of the Lord is coming, they thought it actually was tomorrow. They thought it might be happening any moment and after the next month or year, or decade, and they're really confused because people have died, and Jesus hasn't come back yet. I was living for God. I'm supposed to be doing my best here, and now life is over, and Jesus hasn't come back yet. So then what was even the point? But we do that with life too. We oftentimes look only to what we squeeze into these 60, 70, 80 years of life and nothing beyond. And yet, what does Paul say? That the dead will rise again. Your life is not just this part. It's also a testimony to what it is that will be to come. If we have in our relationships with other people only what we can get out of them, then how will we ever be able to pause and share with them hope and grace if we can't even be in the same room with them anymore? And more than that, if physical intimacy, if sex is everything that this world is supposed to be about, then what about the billions of other people that we're not supposed to have that relationship with? Because frankly, there are a lot of good friendships and a lot of good bonds that have nothing to do with that part of human existence. But if that's all that we focus on, if that's all that we're striving for, then why would anybody ever listen to us about the life of the world to come? And you see, that ends up leading us back to our gospel lesson. The ten young women that were there, they're not married. They are anticipating the opportunity of being at this feast. Because remember, this is not a spot where you get a chance to socialize on Facebook all the time or that you have your Instagram accounts to tell everybody what's up. You, you don't have your Snapchat where you're videoing everything with everybody all the time. You may not even necessarily see people more than once or twice a year beyond a small little grouping. Parties and festivals were not just go to have fun. That's also your opportunity to meet your potential future spouse. If you don't get in, 
your next opportunity might not be coming for quite some time. But what ends up happening? Oh, well, we're going to go and wait for the bridegroom. Do all of them have enough oil to last until they, that bridegroom comes? No. Why? They're only thinking about this moment. And so over the course of that evening, some of them run out of oil. They have no more fire. And what happens? The bridegroom comes. Oh, I'm sure we'll figure it out whenever the time comes. Hey, can you, can you give me a little bit of, of your oil real quick? We've all been in school. We all know what it is that we're expecting somebody to share and help us out and everything. But when you know that you need what you have to get inside, you're not letting it go. So five of them that were prepared go inside. And the five that were not were stuck outside. See, here's the thing. The world back then didn't have street lights. There was no restaurant down the street with golden arches lighting up the area. There was no ambient light anywhere. If it was dark, it was dark. And you have light behind you inside the party and you're looking out and all you see is darkness and someone's saying, let me in. Are you going to let them in? Absolutely not. There's no way to see who it is. And we have to ask the question is that Jesus comes back again and he sees what we are up to right now. Would he even recognize us? Are we as the church any different from the world around us? When God sees us, does he see us behaving like the children that he has called as his own? He saved us. He's given us new life. And he comes and he sees us. And what does he see? Look the same to me. And no, that's not some discussion about the rapture. And it's not a discussion about, uh, you know, well, did Jesus actually save you from your sins? But it's this whole thing about if we've already been given the oil in our lamps and the fire that's supposed to burn then why in the world can he not recognize us sometimes? Why is it that we let anybody and everybody else decide who we are and how we are? Over the weekend, in between sliding kids across the floor and trying to avoid be having a pool noodle poked in my face, um, at one point we did a devotion and I gave all the kids these votive candles, okay, tiny little tea lights. And... They were all lit. And what I did is I said, okay, y'all go throughout the whole gym. Go out all over the place. We're going to turn off the lights. And I want you to try to find your way back together again. But what I did is I leaned over to one of the kids and I said, keep your light on, but go blow out theirs. Didn't tell anybody. And so they're all starting to find their way. And then all of a sudden you hear, what, what, what? Because he'd found his way over there. And yeah, it was one of our kids from all of them, of course. But you start realizing that he gets in close with that little candle. But his whole goal is to blow theirs out. We're constantly surrounded by people that just seem great. And we like them just fine. But we realize that they have nothing to do with encouraging our light to burn the way God has called us to do. And in many ways, all they're doing is just dousing the fire that is within us. But what was fun was that as soon as that happened, what did they need to do? 
find the other people who are still burning and get their light lit again. I don't know what it is that has been dragging you in the mud with relationships with other people, whether uh, intimate romantic relationships or even just friendships that, that we need to be there for one another. But we need to be there for each other because with the light of Christ, there are so many things trying to distract us and tear us away. And we need to be there for each other to keep one another burning with that spirit. Bless you. Whatever we may be seeing, it is up to us not to blow out one another's candle. How dare you be burning that way because I'm not burning that way. But instead is to say, how can we help keep each other focused on the Word of God? So wherever you may be, may we as a community here be able to strengthen you and build you up in the Spirit so that we can go out and light the world instead of letting them put out our fire. Thanks be to God.